0: i'm aj mickle with mickle brothers farm in damon texas you're listening to the latest news in texas agriculture on texas ag today
1: welcome to texas ag today a daily look at the latest news in texas agriculture
2: Hello Texas, I'm so glad to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. You know what to do, just jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, winter wheat planting is ahead of schedule here in Texas, but the crop is struggling. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Carrie Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley.
0: As agriculture changes in the Texas High Plains, Cotton is taking in a lot more acres in the region's northern counties than was true not too many years ago. And our water situation is a big reason why we're not likely to see a reversal of that trend anytime soon. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The state's largest
3: general farm organization is considering policy resolutions for the upcoming year. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today.
2: We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Winter wheat planting is well ahead of schedule here in Texas this year. The latest crop progress and condition report showing that 88% of the wheat crop has now been planted. That is well ahead of the 81% five-year average pace. 62% of that crop has now emerged. The latest wheat condition ratings still don't look very good for Texas. 14% of our wheat crop rated good to excellent, 37% rated fair, and 49%, just under half of the wheat crop rated in the poor to very poor categories. The report also showed harvest progress. The Texas cotton harvest now above the 50% mark. We stand at 51% done on our cotton harvest here in Texas. USDA's Brad Rippey takes a look at the national cotton harvest numbers.
4: Cotton harvest progress for the week ending November 6th. National number is 62%. That remains ahead of the five-year average of 55%, and last year's 54%. Interestingly, if you look at the cotton belt, which includes basically four independent regions, you've got California and the desert southwest, you've got the West Texas area, you've got the Delta area, and the southeastern area. All of the 15 reporting states reporting cotton harvest ahead of the average pace. Pretty remarkable to see that all the way across the south. Again, a testament to how dry it has been during this autumn harvest season.
2: A couple of other harvest numbers in this week's report show that we are done with corn and sorghum harvest here in Texas. Soybean harvest now stands at 90% complete, while peanut harvest stands at 60% that is slightly ahead of the five-year average pace of 56 percent. We all know this was a tough year for all of Texas agriculture, but farmers are usually eternal optimists, hoping that next year will be better. Pat McDowell farms and raises cattle in Wheeler County, and he says he's just looking forward as we approach a new year.
5: Well, this time of year, everybody's trying to we should be stripping cotton there's not a whole lot of cotton to be stripped it's it's there is some out there and we do have a few spots that you know have have some good but you know tremendous amount of our crops we just didn't have a crop this summer and uh, we're looking forward to everybody's got a little bit of wheat planted it's coming up there's been some spotted showers and we're just kind of hoping the uh cattle business, the, the grazing, you know, we may be able to turn on some wheat here in a few weeks and we'll see what that, but hey, we're farmers and ranchers. We're going to be optimistic and it's got to be a better day.
2: Pat McDowell of Shamrock in Wheeler County. Cotton is becoming a more popular crop in the northern Texas panhandle. James Hunt tells us one reason for that is water.
0: Not too long ago, cotton was kind of a novelty in the northern reaches of the Texas High Plains, but as times gone by, cotton, which has long been grown in abundance in the South Plains, has truly become established in the Texas Panhandle. And Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell doesn't see that changing despite some challenging seasons in recent years.
6: Even though we do consider cotton to be a relatively new crop for the Texas Panhandle, we have seen our cotton infrastructure respond to producer planting and producer production in this region. That's with our gin potential, with the cotton storage capacity, and just the infrastructure that has been built across this region. And producers are planting cotton not just because of market prices, but because cotton fits well in our rotations and it has allowed producers to extend limited irrigation supplies. When we look at the irrigation capacities that producers have today, they no longer have the ability to irrigate corn at high rates and especially grow corn on corn the way they might have 15 or 20 years ago. So cotton, because it is a drought tolerant crop, provides producers the ability to split their water, manage their irrigated acres such that they can still have fully irrigated corn on some acres, but then also have more limited irrigated cotton on other acres. And as a whole, even a well-irrigated cotton crop is going to use half the irrigation of a well-irrigated corn crop. So that is just going to let producers really extend their irrigation and maximize their return on the water they have available today.
0: I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
2: The state's largest general farm organization is considering policy resolutions for the upcoming year. Gary Joyner has more.
3: I'm in Waco, and the Texas Farm Bureau State Resolutions Committee just finished its work. Its chairman is Texas Farm Bureau Vice President Pat McDowell of Wheeler County. Pat, what were some of the topics on the minds of the resolutions uh, that you and your committee considered?
5: We had active participation from 41 different members from across the state, three from each district, and we were well well represented in on the resolutions committee. The the there were many topics discussed. Uh, we went painstakingly through the policy books and you know make sure what our policies were and what the new ones were coming out. We talked about tax abatements. We talked about solar. We talked about renewable energy, uh, support for ethanol, and just many other transportation issues, animal health issues. There was just a a myriad of uh, resolutions that came through. They were all very topical. They were all discussed at length. They were all looked at, and they will be presented to the state convention for the body's uh, approval or disapproval of these. So that's the way Farm Bureau works. It's the grassroots level
3: some of the topics are very specific others broader in nature it's interesting when county farm bureaus submit their ideas for the year uh, it's sometimes hard to kind of bring all that together over 260 resolutions this year
5: sure and and we discussed i mean we looked at every viewpoint of everything sent in i mean we compared them side by side of going okay why is this county saying this and why is the other one in in many of the cases it, they have the same idea, and it's good for agriculture. It's good for Texas agriculture. And we hope the resolutions committee as a body, we've, we've combined them together, we deleted, we made them a little simpler to look at for the, for the state convention.
3: You asked for a show of hands of who was at their first resolutions committee meeting, and at least half, if not more, raised their hand. Is that good for the organization?
5: Oh, absolutely, it's good. I mean, there was more than half of people. This is the first time they've ever served on resolutions. And I guarantee you, every one of these ladies and gentlemen walking out of here, uh, for their first time, they had their eyes open, and they have to be saying, you know, this Farm Bureau thing is really a grassroots, this is what we do. We do what they say we do. And I got to participate in that. So, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing.
3: What happens next? The ideas uh, brought forward by this resolutions committee, where do they go next, and uh, how will they then be considered by others?
5: The, the resolutions have been, have been combined. We've read them through the entire resolutions committee twice, and made a few corrections here and there, clarifications, and they will be presented at the state convention here on December the 1st, and uh, the entire body of Texas Farm Bureau membership will
3: vote on it. So much of 2022 was about hardship for many farmers and ranchers' drought high inflation, high input costs, but this group really seemed to be looking forward, looking ahead, not talking about the issues maybe that uh, preoccupied so many during the year, but what can we do going forward to make things better?
5: Yeah, absolutely, and the drought's not in hindsight by any means. We're going to have that effect for a long time, but we have state legislature coming up in January, you know, just 60 days away or whatever, and there's a whole lot of stuff that we talked about this week and that we get to vote on in December at the state convention that is going to affect the state legislature. And it's what Farm Bureau members want to be telling their, their state reps and their state senators and our governor. So, yeah, it's, this is a big deal.
3: That's Pat McDowell, vice president of the Texas Farm Bureau. I'm Gary Joyner in Waco for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
7: There are a few things that Texas game wardens are looking for as they're out interacting with hunters this time of year. I'm Jessica Duhlmull, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today.
2: And diagnosing food allergies in pets may have gotten quicker. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
7: Support comes from the Texas Tribune, a nonprofit news organization hosting a multi-day complimentary event exploring the future of rural Texas, discussing what's next for education, broadband connection, health care, the rural economy, and more, november seventeenth through the eighteenth in Lubbock, on Texas Tech University's campus and streaming live online. More at Texastribune.org events.
1: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Diagnosing food allergies in pets may have gotten
2: quicker. Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Pet allergies are extremely
8: common in Texas, and there are basically two types, including inhalant allergies and food allergies. Inhalant allergies are by far the most common and can be diagnosed with a skin test to determine which allergens are causing the problem. However, food allergies do occur, and regardless of what you read online, food allergies cannot be accurately diagnosed with a blood or skin test. Diagnosis of a food allergy requires feeding a special veterinary-only food to your pet, and the food trial historically requires 8 to 10 weeks of feeding the special food. During the trial, the pet cannot eat any other food, like treats or table scraps, or even flavored medication like heartworm preventatives. For this reason, you can see that the longer this test takes, the less likely most owners consent to doing a food trial. The food for the trial is more expensive than other foods as you cannot just change foods to another brand as this will not be effective. So shortening the food trial may allow more folks to consent to performing the food trial as it will be easier and less expensive. Dr. Allison Diesel from Texas A&M reported on a study published in the Journal of Veterinary Dermatology in which 53 dogs were tested. All dogs were placed on prednisone for two weeks to stop the allergy symptoms and were at the same time placed on a hypoallergenic food. After two weeks, the prednisone was stopped, and two weeks later, dogs that were still not showing allergy symptoms were assumed to have food allergy, and these dogs were then fed their old food as a challenge. Dogs that showed signs of allergy on their old food were determined to have food allergy, and the trial only took four to six weeks. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
2: There are a few things that Texas game wardens are looking for as they're out interacting with hunters this fall. Jessica Domal has more in today's wildlife report.
7: The fall is a busy time of year for hunters and Texas game wardens alike. There are several hunting seasons that are open right now, including white-tailed deer, turkey, quail, and some duck and goose hunting. If you're one of the thousands of hunters who plan on taking advantage of the open seasons, there's a chance that you could be stopped by one of the state's law enforcement officers who are dedicated to protecting the state's wildlife and natural resources for future generations. The Texas Game Wardens. Stormy King, Assistant Commander of Law Enforcement for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says there are a few things that the game wardens will be looking for this time of year.
4: Generally on the surface, when you make contact with a hunter in the field, you're looking for the simple things like do they have the appropriate license? Then you're going to want to inspect whatever wildlife resource they may have in their possession, make sure that take is legal, bag limits, things like that, seasons, pretty basic stuff. And Of course, hunter education is something that we take pretty seriously in enforcing that aspect of the law there. When it comes to migratory birds like dove and duck, you're looking for the plug shotgun, there's a limit to how many shells a shotgun can hold while you're hunting migratory birds and you're hunting waterfowl, like ducks or geese, you have to use non-toxic shot. You can't use lead. So there's just a kind of a long list of things that fall into just a normal contact. Then sometimes through investigation or we may notice something suspicious, obviously it can go a little more in depth and, and get more detailed. But in general, you're looking at licensing bag limits, seasons and then means and methods compliance
7: that was stormy king from the texas parks and wildlife department we'll have additional tips from him over the next couple of weeks for the texas farm bureau radio network i'm jessica Domel.
2: the cattle market put in a lower close in wednesday's trade and a usda report put pressure on both cotton and grains we'll take a look at all of wednesday's market action coming up next Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
1: Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We had a lot of
2: red ink across the board in the agricultural markets on Wednesday. Live and feeder cattle both ending in the red. December live cattle dropped $1.47, $151.57. February down 62 cents at 154.15, while April was down 47 at 157.77. Same story on the feeder cattle market. November feeders down 55 cents, 177.72. January feeders down 25 at 179.65. March feeder cattle down 35, 181.80. Cash fed kettle market still quiet for the week. Feed lots here in the south asking 152. Boxed beef prices lower on Wednesday. Choice down twelve cents, two hundred sixty four eighty-two. Select down five at two thirty-six even. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Seth Crane and his dad Butter own and operate.
8: Union Commission Company, Hondo Livestock. Seth, how was your Monday sale?
9: I uh, ended up with 560 head of cattle. Uh, as far as the cow run, well, they had somewhere around 65, 70 cows. Uh, about steady money with what we had there last week. You'd sell those packer cows on the lower-yielding cows anywhere from 40 up to 58. Uh, the better cows would bring anywhere from 68 up to 77. On our packer bulls, from 65 to 97. And had a handful of bred cows, bring 730 up to nine and a half, and quite a few of those little whip-back cows uh, Brangus type cows are bringing over a dollar there today. Calf and yearling market, the very front end of the cattle, I thought, continue to sell well, probably on the heifer end, better than they had. If cattle are just a little bit plain or something, they can be really cheap, not reflected in this market report. Your two to four weight steers, $1. forty up to one eighty two to four weight heifers, one twenty two. Up to 162, um, four to five weight steers, dollar 45 to 178, four to five weight heifers, 128 to 162, five to six weight steers, dollar 38 to 166. Five to six weight heifers, 122 to 153. Six to seven weight steers, $1.28 to 147. Six to seven weight heifers, 112 to 148. Your seven to eight weight steers, 110 to 132. And seven to eight weight heifers, two to 128. So uh, still a good good market out there on the very good cattle. I uh, thought it was pretty good today. If anybody has any questions, feel free to reach us, 830 741 8061. Get me on my cell phone, 210 288 3960. And for updates and information, visit us on Facebook. Or com.
8: Thank you, Seth. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as
2: we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs finished mixed in Wednesday's trade. Nearby December was down 30 cents at 85.27. February hogs up 65 cents, 89.15. Class 3 milk was higher. November milk up 2 at 20.90, 100 weight. December milk up 53 at 21.50 100 The cotton market closed lower following the USDA World Agricultural Supply and Demand report released on Wednesday morning. USDA increasing the U.S. cotton crop by 220,000 bales up to 14.03 million. Also, domestic carryout increased to 3 million bales. World carryout lowered about 600,000 bales. Due to production losses in Pakistan and Australia. December cotton down 118 points to close at 86.50. March cotton down 101, 84.73. December 23 cotton down 36 at 78.15. Corn and wheat both reacting negatively to the USDA report. On corn, they increased the size of the corn crop up to 13.93 billion bushels. That was up. 35 million from last month's estimate. Somewhat negative for the corn market as December corn dropped 3 cents, 664 and a half, March down 3 and a quarter at 670.5. and a half. We saw double digit losses in both hard and soft wheat Wednesday, but that's a bit of a head scratcher. The USDA report was actually friendly for the wheat market. USDA reduced its estimate of US ending wheat stocks from 576 million bushels down to 571. That is the lowest in 15 years. But despite that, we saw a drop in both wheat markets. December, Kansas City wheat down 15 and three quarters, 9.30 a bushel. December Chicago wheat down 21 and a quarter at 806 and a half. In the energy markets, December natural gas down 21 cents, 592. December crude oil down 315 at 85.76 a barrel. The financial markets lower Wednesday afternoon. The Dow down 630 points at 32,521. The NASDAQ down 250, 10,365. The S&P down 77 at 3,750. That wraps up our look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of
1: A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts,